All right, so coach, we're back, and um, you know, it's only a week since we last recorded, so it's like we're back on a little bit more of a, a schedule. A little bit better schedule, but but this was, we but we have a we, uh, well, I hate to say it's a special guest, but because it's been so long since we've been together, but but we really we had to because we had to bring our special guest who's not a guest. Jack's back. <laughs> Jack is back. Yeah. <laughs> I think the last time I was on a podcast, there was snow on the ground, and now I mean it's ninety degrees, eighty percent humidity. It's it's. It's a change in scenery. I'm the only one in this room right now wearing short sleeves, and it's making me question y'all sanity right now because that humidity is is something else. I'm a D line coach. No one ever ever thought we were sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you know they say the same thing about kickers sometimes. So they also say that. Well, you know you have a valid point there. It also they also have a say that says it takes eleven sane men to hold one crazy man down. Mm. So just in case you were wondering, mm-hmm. there's only two of you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jack, uh, this is the – yeah, like you said, there was snow on the ground last time we talked. Gosh, that seems like so long ago, but it wasn't. Um, s- since then, you have, quote, unquote, graduated, I guess. You got to walk across the stage. I have. It was a great ceremony. I really thank Hendricks for inviting us back the day before the Class of 21's uh, ceremony. And it was a really nice um, – I guess it put a, a bow on the uh, the whole graduation thing. It was really nice. 107, I think, of my classmates came back and had a nice little ceremony. I really enjoyed it. How'd you like walking in the uh, in the stadium? I really like outdoor graduations. I was talking to Coach Buck about that a few weeks ago. That I really like the outdoor graduation more than the indoor. And also the evening, we had a nice sky behind us. I, I really enjoyed that. It was perfect weather. It was it wasn't hot that I can remember. Coach yeah. Neal said it's always near perfect weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was as near as you could possibly get. Jack's right. The sky was great. So we were sitting behind and everything. Um, the one thing I – so the first person who walked across the stage, I don't remember, but President Arnold, he wasn't sure what to do. So, like, obviously you, it wasn't it wasn't his fault. He would give the diploma and he would give a handshake. They'd turn and look at the camera. And as they would release and the person would walk off stage, he like he gave the first person a fist bump. The first person was all about it. From the rest of the night on, it was pretty awkward to see if anyone else would give him a fist bump, and they really didn't. And by the time they got to you, Jack, they they didn't. Like I don't think he was offering fist bumps anymore. But I can't even remember. Did he go the handshake or did he just? I think he just handed the little diploma sleeve, and you held one side and he held the other, and he took a picture. Yeah. So there was no handshake, no fist bump. Well, the thing is, like, it was when they got it was the fist bump came before he would he would fist bump, and then it was the diploma handshake camera boom done out of here. So it wasn't. Um, yeah, but he, it was his first graduation ceremony, I guess, for Hendricks, if I remember correctly. So uh, for his new tenure, his, his now that he's not interim president. So, yeah, I, I felt bad. He, he didn't get the uh, he, he didn't get the fist bump that he was he was looking for from everyone else. But it, it was a really nice night. And we had uh, two other football players, I believe, do it as well. Mason Dorr um, and Zan Thomas also walked across the stage. So that was, yeah. We awesome. had a lot more than that graduate. They just, <laughs> yeah. they just participated in the graduation ceremony. Just, just get that out there. <laughs> oh, they're only graduating three people a year. That's, that's not a very good ratio. <laughs> came, in, came in with 30, graduate three. That's not a good ratio. <laughs> uh, again, disclaimer on that. Uh, we graduated a lot more than that. Just the participation in graduation this year. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Jack's senior class was part of that group that had a – I don't know if it was a record number, but a very significant portion of the team finished academic all-conference that year. So 
Yep. That was not an indictment on our academic abilities here. No. No. <laughs> not Hendrix. But, um, Coach, I had a quote I wanted to read to you real quick. We did our quote of the day last time, and you were talking about you dissected the spruce tree, uh, you know, sprucing things up. I didn't cut anything down. I'm not George Washington. You know? No. So, anyway, cherry tree. No. <laughs> you didn't. But I wanted to give you this quote because I've always really liked it, and, and if you have any comments on it, you can say it. If not, we'll move on because I know Jack has some things we want to get to. But this is for you people at home as well. And this is from Bernard Holland. He wrote in the New York Times. I do not know what it was in reference to, but it goes as follows. The conductor plays not a note, but he must be musician, teacher, charismatic healer, foreman, administrator, psychologist, and public relations man, and he must do all these things superlatively well. The reason why I bring that quote up is my one little year in coaching so far, I learned that there's just so many different things you have to be responsible for and, and have to be good at. You don't have to be the best at all of them, but at least in my understanding, there are a lot more facets to your job than I think some people give coaches credit for. That would be a fair assumption. And then some of those things that, that, that's a great quote. And that's a, that's more than a quote. That's more like a a lifeline of what we do. Uh, And then in some of those areas, when you're not as good at some of those things, you hire people that are better than you, those to bolster your, your hole. So you try to get people that can, that can, uh, you know, solidify your weaknesses. And I think that's where a lot of people fail. You know, they're, they become, uh, they're, they're a little intimidated because somebody has this better than them or this better than them. And so I've always thought hire the best people possible and hopefully people that are better than you. So that way, you know, you, you're better. Mm -hmm. Sandy in the medical field, I'd be scared to go to a doctor if you said they're good at it all. Well, that's true, but wouldn't you need the family practice guy to, to be as good as he could be at most things? The surgeons don't care about the family practitioners. Yeah. The orthopedic's like, I do knees. Yeah. Knees only. Mm-hmm. The heck with y'all. Now, I will say, I agree with Jack to some degree here because when when the orthopedic looked at my wrist and he goes, Buck, I don't I do not do hands. I don't do wrists. We're going to send you to a guy just, just wrists. So, yeah, I wanted to be at the wrist surgeon. <laughs> point jack when you when you uh go in and you're looking at specialties to do i will say that my my dad's always said from their experience referring out to people that if you hand surgeons that's one of the that's the, he said they have a remarkable ability that is not equal amongst all surgeons so my cousin is an orthopedic surgeon and she specializes in finger reattachment that's not something i've really wanted finger to reattachment mm-hmm. yeah. special that's a specialization mm-hmm. So, wow. How many feet? Does she work in Little Rock? Mm-hmm. She at UAMS. Well, obviously, how many feet? Ten. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, um, so, so what's the average finger reattachment year? I don't know. I think average per person is probably one finger per person that <laughs> she comes in contact with. But she's told me a couple of stories where she's put uh, five fingers back on one person. And uh, the cool thing that I kind of get mesmerized with is that, of course, when you cut a finger off, you lose blood supply in that finger. Uh, but when they reattach it, reattach it, it's very important to get blood supply back in there. So they use leeches and they attach a leech right there after they sew it back on and it forces the blood back into the, the cut off finger. So all those people that use leeches back in the dark ages weren't exactly. They are on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I just think that I think that our next meeting we need to have some statistics to, to to say how many. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, either either a finger reattachment is really expensive, or 
which I would think it would be anyway. But or there's a lot more finger reattaching than, than what we think goes on. And Sandy, another thing I learned about finger surgeons is that they're one of the only specialties that sits down when they work you mm. know, in, in the operating room. So you don't have to be standing up the whole time. What is so? What is the benefit of sitting down versus standing up? I think you can stabilize your elbow so you can be more intricate with your hands. So you're not kind of your hands aren't moving around as much. You have an anchor point in your elbow that's sitting on the table, and you can be a little more steady. So what does that say for other surgeons? You don't well, we just don't really care how steady you are. I don't, in a knee replacement, I think you can be a little, little more coarse. If that's oh, I've right seen word. some of those. That's it's coarse. <laughs> it's not a general surgery. <laughs> I think it's like you want to get into a job where you have returning customers year to year or like you have your peak season and everything. And I'm thinking for a hand surgeon, the only peak time of the year may be 4th of July or something. With 4th of July, Thanksgiving, I guess, cutting the turkey. Yeah, well, I mean, it it happens. I mean, things that blow up and sharp objects. I mean, that's yep. that's definitely uh, – obviously, I, I bet it's a big in the construction field as oh, well. Yep. Recently had a family friend do it, yeah. Calf ropers have a problem with that, too, because mm -hmm. a lot of thumbs can come off because of getting yep. the uh, rope stuck around their thumb, uh, you know, when the, if they get a loop in it and, the, and, the, and the, you know, they're pulling that calf back. If the thumb gets stuck in there, it will pull the yep. thumb right off their hand. So I've known more than one calf roper that's had their thumb reattached. Well, it's always good to know somebody who can put it back on. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know them, but I know Jack, and I know where to, where to go in case that happens. I I will get my best research people on that. We'll find out. We'll have an exact figure next time. All right. That's it. We're going to get the research team on that. <laughs> I want to know. I mean, okay, so you're a defensive lineman, and, and I know that they're retired. Yes. Well, no, but I know you got there and played now if you could. True. So – you, you hear the, about these finger injuries, of course, in the pros, and I think they probably go on so much more, but you only hear about the ones that are really bad that the fans can see on television. Um, back in the day, I don't know if y'all wore the gloves like they do now. I didn't like, wear gloves. But did you at least have your fingers taped or something like that? Or uh, Only when they were broken. Did you ever, like, how common is it to get your fingers stuck in? Okay, yeah. For, I mean, the audience can't see that, but that fingers go sideways. For, for yeah, these are just – this, that's another reason why we need a camera in this office sometimes to film these live, you know, like they do. Cause uh, yeah, that would help. But so I would assume that you got your fingers caught in face masks sometimes or. Yeah. I mean, well, you're not supposed to grab face masks, but yes, it could happen. Um, but the worst one I got was I actually was tackling a guy on a punt return. I was first one down center. He juked me a little bit, but I got a hand on him and I, my finger got caught in the back of his rib protector and my hand was behind my head and I'm holding on with my ring finger in the rib protector and he's behind me and I'm on the ground. And all I'm thinking is I'm about, this is, I'm about to pay the piper cause it's going to hurt, but I'm not letting go of this SOP cause I was the only one down there. Uh, and it did, it hurt. That, and that's that finger right there. It's not the time I heard it. But uh, but that's that finger that goes sideways. <laughs> There's a reason why we play what we did, Jack. <laughs> uh, not as many finger problems. Mm -mm. I just thought about that so much. Like I see the offensive lineman, the defensive lineman having problems. And I know you're not supposed to grab your face mask, but it's, is there any case in like you can inadvertently get your hand caught in there or something? Or I've seen people get them caught in shoulder pads. Like yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it just happens. I mean, you, you you could get a finger caught in a in a face mask or. Or between two helmets is the worst. I mean, like, that's what can really, really hurt, you know. Um, I wish we'd had gloves like we had now. I mean, I would have played in gloves like that. I did, we did get issued gloves when it got really, really cold. 
I felt like it got colder by the end of the year back then, but um, but really that was the only time, and we really didn't didn't wear gloves. So, uh, I mean, I don't even remember receivers and stuff wearing gloves in college. I, I, our receivers, you know, they the gloves are just starting to kind of come out with the tackification on them, and and so there were some people starting to wear gloves, but our best receivers didn't. Let me tell you something, Jack, while you're here, while the three of us are in the same room together for the, for the hey, first time in a while. Let me back up for a second. So we didn't wear gloves, and our punter and kicker both didn't wear didn't wear uh, cleats. So <laughs> That's another kind of insanity. Have you ever kicked without a, without a shoe on? I will admit I have, uh, but not in the cold weather. Like, like uh, I don't remember his name, but one of the first ones to do in the NFL played for the Broncos, and you see him doing that in cold weather, and that's that violates more rules than just the food chain rule, but certainly the food chain rule. I, that's crazy to me. Well, really, I, and I've said this, I might have said this on the show before, but the shoe technology now is so much better than it was that you're almost kicking with, with the same kind of uh, strike and the like with way the, the laces on your shoe are different and the, and the way that shoe's designed to, to have the best contact point right there on your, you know, just like baseball bats or whatever. So you're getting a better strike with your cleat than what you could have gotten on some Nike Sharks back in the day. <laughs> When I was coaching at North Rock, yeah, I'd be wearing my tennis shoes, and and before practice, before the guys came out, like I would, I would hit a few balls, and and I didn't want to kick it in tennis shoes, so I did it barefoot. And when you hit it clean, it's fine. But even one little thing, like it may be a kick that's only ninety percent, like you hit it mostly right. But that's when the kids came out, and I did that one time. You had to put on a brave face because that was not a, it's not fun. But what I was going to say is, he was talking about colder weather. We went through some pretty cold practices together, but. Some of the ones we had this past spring were as rough as. That's okay. Loose affiliation with spring. Don't talk about <laughs> spring. There was no spring to that. <laughs> Not only did you did you uh, have to practice in the actual winter, but it was the coldest winter I think I've ever been. Yeah, through. it was all nice and dandy up until we started football. I mean, it was like, January was pretty nice, and then it was like, oh, y'all want to play football? Sorry about your luck. <laughs> I don't remember which week it was, but we had one week where a couple of days it was in the 60s, and you're like, okay, we're, we're out of the clear. And then you look at the weather, and you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. We actually make it snow. We did get snow. We got a lot of snow. But, Snowmageddon. And then, you know, you go through a couple of practices, and it's not even night. I we were, it was in the afternoon, but it was 20 degrees outside, and not good. No, it was cold. I'll give it up to Bennett for uh... – Having to kick every day in below freezing conditions. Bennett Jackson, just to, we would do it obviously, but they did it and they didn't seem to really argue, complain that much. And yeah, it was an ex, it was a year for our kids that they may the people that will come in through the program in the future will not get to see very often. And you got to use the capes and the yep. hand warmers. And yep. Luckily, we already had all that stuff in stock. That's right. That's right. It was just. It was a different year. Um, Jack, you brought up something to me yesterday, and I know you talked about it with Coach Buck. Um, you had a comment from the last podcast. Yeah, so last week y'all were talking about barbecue and about the, the necessary sides for barbecue. So something I was thinking about is that normally when you go to a barbecue restaurant, you'll get bread, but occasionally you won't get a piece of bread. And so I was thinking, you know, and I was kind of disappointed when I don't get a piece of bread. So I was asking if that's an expectation. If you're supposed to have bread with a with a barbecue platter, 
I think you're supposed to have bread with a barbecue platter. I think you're supposed to have bread. Like, really, some of the best barbecue, though, they don't put emphasis on the bread, though. Like, it's not like, hey, this is, we're going to do some overly the top bread. Like, some of the best barbecue I've had, it's just straight up light bread. It's like, we're going to have some light bread, and you can sop some barbecue sauce with it at the end of the meal. I mean, that's what I like. And the other thing I was going to ask is, what do you do with the bread? Do you make a sandwich? Do you sop it up at the end? I mean, there's a whole different suite of things you can do i mean it's really it's really just kind of like the the filler palate cleanser i mean like if you're going to get a sandwich get a sandwich you don't you mean your bread's the bread but it's you got to have a pusher you know you got to have a pusher and and i mean and it's just good but it's better when you have light bread and pickles and onions and i think that too many places outside of texas miss this pickles and onions boat i'm just telling you Pickles and onions is crucial. Sandy, have you ever had pickles and onions with barbecue? I don't ever think it's been offered to me. I, I've had it offered, but to in different places, like you may get onions, you may get pickles, but I didn't realize it was such a big deal in Texas to have both. I Pickles and both. onions go with barbecue and catfish. That's where I know it is catfish. I've had pickles and yeah, like eat eat my catfish has pickles and onions, I mm-hmm. feel like. I mean, it's it's just it's a staple. Mm-hmm. It's a staple. I think you got to have it. But again, I like the light bread. I think you need to have it. Um, and and I don't think you have to have too fancy a bread. You know, I just don't. Yeah, I think if a barbecue restaurant really puts an emphasis on the bread, it's not going to be very good barbecue. You can't be good at both, or it's very rare. Well, the reason why what uh, Teddy was talking about with with Jared Lincoln when they went up and he was looking for bread that that resonated with me is I went to Kansas city one time with a friend and we stopped and got barbecue. We weren't getting a family platter. We were just getting a, you know, a meal for each person. And we get back and we noticed there's a loaf of white bread in there too. Like it's a loaf of uh, the, yeah, the sunbeam white bread. I'm like, did you order bread? He's like, no. And you look, I'm like, okay, I guess I do that with everybody. And afterwards you're like, yeah, I can see why they do that. And I didn't realize that was an expectation at that time, but just plain old white bread is pretty darn good with it. So yeah, maybe you'll see that more in the future. I, I agree. And I know I'm, yeah, I'm going to be hard on Sam Strubing for a minute. I, I can respect that he doesn't like barbecue and he didn't want it, but we go to some really good barbecue places on our road trip. You know, Memphis has barbecue. Uh, you know, I know we're not necessarily in Austin, but we play in the Austin's San Antonio area. They have good barbecue. You know, man, we really missed out on a good opportunity. Yep. Thanks a lot, Sam. But I mean, Chick-fil-A is good, too. It's not barbecue, though. <laughs> you know, I, it brings up a story I'll tell. Um, one, you know, I didn't I didn't get a lot of beatings growing up, you know, but but one of the ones I got that was that I didn't feel like it was deserved, but it was sort of deserved. So we were in the barbecue spot and and the barbecue sauce was awesome. I was a little kid and. I was and I and I loved ribs, you know. So and I love brisket, but but back in when I was a kid, I really loved ribs. So I would I was just sopping this this barbecue sauce up on the rib, uh, in, uh, just I'd already eaten the ribs, and I was just licking it off the rib bone. And my mother goes, "Quit, quit licking the sauce off of that rib." So I put that one down. I looked at her. I grabbed another one and started doing it off another one. The beatings will now begin. <laughs> Well, I wasn't wrong, but I was wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of that too. And 
what what needs to happen is hopefully President Arnold hears us someday, at least talking about it's it goes back there it was like five or six years ago we had a barbecue day in the cab. We did have and barbecue day. That was really darn good. It was one of the it was it's my top theme day. I think we voted on that as a, as but one of the top He wasn't theme here for that. I was not here. Oh, you it, were not They sure. haven't done it since. It's the best theme day we've had and they didn't. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I remember back in the olden days when I was being recruited here, uh, y'all told me about that and I'm like, "Yep, that's why I'm coming." <laughs> <laughs> but that's why you're going to keep coming back cuz you're still waiting on it. He's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. like, "We had a really good recruiting like season this past year and and you're thinking we didn't even have the cafeteria at our disposal. So it, it, are you thinking you're going into recruiting season? Like, well, now we've got the cap in our arsenal or is it, Hmm, we had a pretty good class coming without the cafeteria. Like is the cafeteria doing something wrong or I'm not going to accuse anyone of anything, but somewhat related. Um, I had my first experience with powdered eggs. the other oh. day. <laughs> How was your experience? Um, I'm going to stick with the real kind. Hey, a lot more thankful now, aren't you? <laughs> Sandy. Where were you getting powdered eggs? We, Joanna's dad is a big backpacker. And so we went camping with him and he brought out this, uh, I thought it was salt. It's like this packet of powder. I'm like, what is that? He said, it's breakfast. He said, it's powdered eggs. And I said, oh, Coach Buck would not be happy. <laughs> and I would not. <laughs> yep. And? Not, not my cup of tea, Sandy. I wouldn't even put him in a cup of tea. <laughs> You may need the and I drink a lot of tea. You may need to spend a little more money on Christmas this year, Jack, on that family because they uh, you may have wronged them somewhere for that. I hope their uh, I hope their family dish has a powdered eggs because I might need to find a new family. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're making your own eventually. <laughs> so um, a, a few episodes back, Coach, we were talking about movies and. We got to something, I don't know, we were talking about baseball movies, and you challenged Jack to come up with his his uh, his top baseball movies. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't seen many baseball movies growing up. I know of some of the best ones, but I haven't seen many of them, and um, I'm hoping Jack here will have at least a few more in his repertoire, Because, but obviously yours will be the foremost opinion on baseball movies, because you've seen more than we have. Probably have. But, probably have. All right, so... I haven't watched a ton of baseball movies either. So we went to the Google and I found a bleacher report that's ranking the top 25. And I think going through 25 is a lot. So we can either go through five or 10. Uh, let's go to 10. All right. We can do, okay. So number 10 is 42. Good movie. Yeah. Seen it. Uh, number nine is The Sandlot. Great movie. Seen it. Eight, A League of Their Own. Great movie. Seen it. There's no crying in baseball. Um, number seven is Ball Player. Haven't seen that one. Out in 2011. Some of them might be documentaries, I think. I think that one might be a documentary. Yep, documentary. Number six, Major League. One of my absolute favorites. Definitely would be in my top five. Uh, number five, The Natural. Again, top five for me. Awesome. Number four, Moneyball. Moneyball is a good movie. I, I It ranks a little lower on my list, but it is a good movie. Three is Field of Dreams. You, hard to argue against Field of Dreams because if you build it, they will come. <laughs> Number two is the 1976, The Bad News Bears. I do like some Bad News Bears. Tanner was my favorite, but um, I don't know if I'd rank it in my top five. <laughs> and I've looked at a couple another or a couple articles. Um, this one consistently ranks number one, and this is Bull Durham. I figured Bull Durham would be number one, but it's not my number one. But it is. I mean, but I mean, 
I mean, I'm not lolly, lolly, lollygagging on my list. I'm just saying that, that uh, it is a good movie. So out of that list, I've watched maybe half. I talked to Coach Buck about this a couple weeks ago. Moneyball is a great movie, but I think it should be in a, a different, almost different genre. It really was more about um, the situations, and baseball was kind of on the back burner. But, yeah, I mean – it it is definitely a baseball movie, but but you're right about that. I mean, it's about statistics and and looking at things a different way. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I would agree with all those probably. I mean, um, I think uh, one of mine that would go up there in the top ten that wasn't on that list was for the love of the game, Kevin Costner. Uh, I really like that one where he's pitching the perfect game and thinking back all over the years. Um, Try to think of any others that, that really kind of pop out. Most of those were, would have been on my list, I think. Uh, I mean, The Natural is one of my favorites of all time, and obviously Major League is probably. I mean, it's it's it. I, Major League is probably my favorite, actually, <laughs> just because I'm a comedy guy, and it's it's right up there with. I mean, luckily we don't have to have a live chicken before the broadcast every time, but but we, we make it. <laughs> <laughs> I know Major League is one of your favorites because you're always quoting it to me, especially if we were working baseball games or something. And that's something we want to do in the future, hopefully, is be able to at least call one baseball game. If we can do a three-man booth or at least a two-man booth because that's a lot of fun. But now there are probably a few things in Major League we can't say on the broadcast. There are definitely things we can't say. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just, just one wild pitch would be great for just a bit outside. or <laughs> Ball four, ball eight, and ball has walked the bases loaded. I don't know how they're calling pitches as close. <laughs> It sounds like I need to catch up on some baseball movies. I think Major League, Bull Durham, I can watch a couple this summer. One of my favorite skit characters is in, in Saturday Night Live, though, is Harry Carey, Will Ferrell playing yep. Harry Carey in the uh, you know world of the universe or whatever, <laughs> the ultimate universe or whatever, especially when he introduced, interviews Jeff Goldblum. So it's one of my favorites. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Yep. It will ask you very uh, profound questions on there, such as if you were a hot dog. You've never thought about it before, but if you were a hot dog. Would you eat yourself? Yep. yep. <laughs> and I think he said he would. I'm not sure. but I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like with baseball, which sport has the most movies made about it? I can't. Oh, I don't know. In terms we, of at least the United States. I would think that baseball does have the most. I would. I don't know. I mean, I think. Just off the cuff, I would think baseball. I mean, it was America's pastime, mm-hmm. so got to figure it probably has more more movies. I was thinking because I didn't do a count or anything, but you have baseball. You have I would think it'd be between baseball and football because basketball you have your movies, but I don't know how many there are. I don't think it's as many as football, and I sure know it's not as many as baseball. So, off the top of your head, guys, which one do you think would have the strongest? Like, if you were doing a top ten, which one do you think would be stronger? In that sense, in terms of just uh, like the movies that you would like the most, like in baseball or football or mm-hmm. baseball, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, The Natural is. I mean, as just far as a good quality movie, The Natural is hard to beat. I mean, that's just a great movie. Um, I don't know. I think I just I, it's hard for me to put one over the other because mm-hmm. you're kind of the. I was a baseball and a football player too, so like I like both. So I have a, I mean, I, I think people maybe not have played baseball probably has a different view of that. I don't, I don't, I think it's probably easier to get a more realistic baseball movie than it is the realistic football movie. And I think that probably lends itself better to be a baseball, uh, having baseball being an easier uh, movie scenario. I agree with that. I think when I think of football movies, I think of more like 
targeted to younger audiences. There's not a whole lot of newer, good, not like Disney Channel type football movies. Like they made one about Clemson last year that I, I haven't watched it, but from what I've seen, it's more targeted to younger audiences. So I think a ba- I think baseball can tell a better story through a movie. I absolutely agree with that. I was thinking of like the best football movies and off the top of my head, I mean, I like, remember the Titans for me is always one of those that's really good. I know for an older audience, uh, maybe they have other ones. I know Brian's song was, uh, Brian's song is a, is that's, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty moving movie. <laughs> I was thinking of like any given Sunday. Um, <laughs> throw, um, Oh my gosh. The program. Yes. What's the, the prison? The, the longest yard. Yes. I, yeah, I went the original that. longest yard. Yeah. I like the original yeah. better than the, than the <laughs> remake. The remake was good, but the original, Speaking of the longest yard, KT uh, is in Sweden. Yep. Uh, shout out to him with the Stockholm Mean Machines. Uh, so, Mean Machine, Paul Wrecking Crew doesn't play for KT in them. But From what I've seen, you might have a hard time getting him back. I think he's really enjoying it. I think he's enjoying it too. I think he's getting a, a good opportunity and really happy for him. I can assure you he will be back because he sent us, he sent some of us a message last night. He, he took a picture of his window. It was like six o'clock our time. His his window looks like mine. It's still sunny outside and everything. He said it's three a.m. right now. Oh yeah, yeah. I I tried to prepare him for that. You got You got You got. There's no such thing as a night owl there this time of year. <laughs> so that kind of like throws your old quote out the window. Of, you know, you can't soar with the eagles if you're up hooting with the owls. That's right. They may be at the same time. They may be but, overlapping. Yeah, they overlapping. They overlap this time of year there. <laughs> I was talking with this was a while back, and I'm glad Jack you brought that up. He will come back, but I've heard the food is great over there too. In Sweden, I don't know if you've been to Sweden. Fifty-fifty, there is good food over there, okay. but you could end up with yourself a, a dish of sushrumming, and you could definitely not think that's mm. very good. Okay, <laughs> and whatever you do, never do Jensen's Temptation. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, that just don't. We'll take it, your. It looks sort of like hash browns, but it's some kind of fish. Mm. I didn't taste it. I just saw my my former D lineman that went with me that that was uh, that coached D line for me, uh, Ryan Gregory. We were on a cruise going, for, and the look on his face, I knew I was never touching that stuff. And I just told him, I said, "Dude, spit it out. We don't know anybody on this boat. We don't have to impress anybody. Just spit it out." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if, if a if a fish dish that looks like hash browns would be that appetizing, Jack. Well, that's the other thing. When you're expecting it to be hash browns and it's fish, it's a whole different deal. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell you, sustrumming, th- th- there's no way to make that good. You you have to open it in a closed environment because basically it's botulism. I mean, like it blows up when you open it mm-hmm. up. It's it is fermented dead fish. I mean, it is rotten fish that you're eating. It's just fish and salt rotted it's it's terrible but it's a it's a dish that the old country or the old high coast in sweden that's i mean that's how they survive winters i mean they pack fish all summer when they caught fish all year and they packed it in salt and and that's how they survived and more power to them i mean not only do they got to endure the environment and the harsh conditions but they had to eat rotten fish it's no wonder Vikings could conquer other countries. Yep. <laughs> they just wanted their food. That's all. <laughs> so I was talking to a guy. He's now um, a graduate assistant at Utah, and he had the chance to coach in Europe, and he coached in several different places. I don't remember um, exactly. One of them was Germany. I do remember that for a fact. You're talking about a Texas boy who grew up playing Texas football, and he played um, at a high level. He played for Toledo, 
and he goes over there and the way he would talk about his experiences in Europe, you would have thought the best time he's ever had playing football or coaching football was over in Europe. He enjoyed it to the nth degree. Um, so I guess, and I remember asking him, what surprised you the most about European football? Not soccer, but, you know, football in Europe. Um, and I don't remember exactly what he told me, but I guess I would ask you, was there anything when you got over there that surprised you about the players or maybe the game? Or uh, Well, when I first got to Czech and I was doing a camp at Czech and, and uh, I was drawing, I was coaching offensive line, and so I put the, you know, our five offensive linemen up there and was talking about zone blocking. And the lineman in the back raised his hand and he goes, Coach, uh, you've got too many people up there. And I'm like, one, two, three, four, five. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we play nine man. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I erased both tackles. I'm not sorry. And I just kept going. <laughs> we grew up playing seven, eight football. Um, and I will tell you, uh, we get, we get to watch a lot of film nowadays where you're getting kids from, places in Arkansas that even you and I may not have heard of. And we're looking at eight man football and this and that. And it's, it's like, it's not like watching an entirely different ball game, but it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's fun to watch though. I would recommend anyone going to watch eight man football. And, and my worry is there might be some kids out there who think I play eight man football. Like the kids who play 11 man football are just going to be at this different level. Or even if they're, we're the same, their experiences playing 11 man football will just put them over the top. And I'm watching these kids play eight man. I'm like, no, the, I distinctly you remember I remember you telling a parent one time like we there's no diff like we're not don't discriminate against eight man football like it's yeah I mean it, well I mean there is some point of there's a level and there's all that but but in reality you're still playing football blocking and tackling still blocking and tackling tackling is actually harder than eight man you got more space you got more opportunity to get loose so so surely hopefully your coach better you're going to be a better tackler so some of that stuff has to play into it and then also it's like you know. Uh, it's like I told Presley Day, it's like, look, running back's still running back. You just got three or four more people chasing you. <laughs> <laughs> Go where they're not and things yeah. work out. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same thing. Um, in terms of, uh, I don't even know if we've talked about this before on the show, so I'm kind of glad I remembered it. Was there anything about just going over to Europe in, in general that was? Uh, you know, uh, the, the first time over is always a little bit more challenging because you, you know, it's, it's new. It's, you know, it's like, uh, I remember that first time it's like, just hang on, but jet lag's real. I'll just tell you that. So, you know, didn't manage that the first time. I feel like I got KT coached up pretty good to where he wouldn't have it, but Rhino and I made the mistake of, of you know, going to sleep when we got over there, bad idea. And for, a week after that, it was like the worst week ever because you just couldn't stay awake. Like anytime you were sitting still, it was like, <sighs> I mean, you were out. Um, so the the best thing I can tell you, anybody goes overseas and you're going nine or 10 hours, like, especially going that direction is, you know, you're on an overnight flight and then you got to stay up the whole day that you're there. And then you get on their circadian rhythm, <laughs> but you got to suck it up for 24 hours to 48 hours. and You got to stay your butt up. But then you get on a normal sleep schedule. And your sleep schedule is already screwed up anyway when you're going to Scandinavia because, like KD said, it's 3 o'clock and it looks like it's, you know, it's still light outside. So you're like, you're, your body's thinking, well, I got to keep going. I got to keep going because it's not – like 
you would we would be out doing stuff and having a barbecue or we play you know games or we play, play coop out in the yard or whatever and you look down it's like 11 30 or 12 at night and it looks like you know six o'clock in the afternoon so that's the thing it's like you got to kind of gauge yourself there now in mainland europe it's not like that we were really close to arctic circle so it's way different but um in in mainland europe it's it's a little bit different but still the days are longer you're you're closer to the you know top of the earth and, and so you're going to have longer days and more sunlight um i think the other thing that was a big change was women play football a lot more than in the United States. I mean, women play football and they play in leagues and it's, you know, organized. And, um, you know, I think that's a big change because uh, I coached just as many women in some of our camps that I did men. So um, other than that, I, I had a gr great time going over. I never thought I would ever, you know, travel overseas. And, and now, you know, we're trying to find ways to go back. <laughs> KT is, is never someone who I ever saw going to Europe for that reason to coach football. I'm not sure why, but well, I'm it's like, glad you did. You know, it's like I, I was, you know, Xavion is over uh, playing in, in, in England and, and, and KT obviously coaching in, in Stockholm right now. But, you know, I just – I remember when pulling up and, and I remember the first time I went to high school to recruit KT. And I walked into high school and I seen him walking down the hall. He's got this big rubber band ball. And he's like bounce and he is talking to everybody. I mean, you know, you know how KT is. I mean, he's always been that way. He was, he was the, the king of school pretty much. I mean, like everybody knew him and he was, he was funny, jovial KT. And I'm like, before I even talk to him, I'm looking at going, that guy needs to come to Hendricks and play for us. I don't, I didn't even watch his video yet. I'm just like, that guy needs to be here. And you know, uh, to have a guy like that and, and to do as much as he did while he was here and be such a you know intricate part of our team and part of our championship run and all that stuff and then be a great leader and then to be able to stay and help coach with us you know uh, and then to have an opportunity like this and that's something I think you know look back and going you know he's like he said it goes coach you know I I never really got even out of the state to we you got got me to play football and then you know I I definitely never got on an airplane to go overseas, you know, until, until this opportunity. You know, you don't think about that kind of thing, uh, you know, as you're going through, as, you, as you're growing up or whatever. You know, just like I didn't think I was going overseas, but one of my best friends just happened to be a Finnish guy that ended up coaching with us. And then, you know, I ended up promising I was going to go to his wedding, and I kept my promise. I went to his wedding. I thought his wedding would be in the States. It was in Sweden. Um, so that's how I ended up going. I mean, like, you, you know, you just don't know how all those things align. But, you know, since I went over there and made those relationships and made all those connections, there was a lot of people that came back to visit us at, at Louisiana College. And I had, you know, I had the the uh, the military sports school come to train with us. We had a group of coaches. I was the level three football coach certifier for a long time for Finnish American football. So we had a lot of coaches come visit us. And one of those contacts uh, uh, is is – was the guy that reached out to one offensive line coach and they wanted offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. And I said, if, if I wasn't the head coach of Hendricks, I would come do that right now. I mean, I would come be your offensive line coach and coach Neil would come be your offensive coordinator. And we just come do that. Cause Jordan played in Sweden and we, we loved going doing that. So I, Coach Heim, myself, Coach Neal, we've all talked about it. When we all retire, we may go do that for a summer or two and just be retired and go to Europe and be, you know, football coaches for, for a little while. Uh, so anyway, that, but all that lined up to say, you know, those are things you don't realize at the time, but then 
that opportunity for me came because of that relationship. KT's opportunity now, or, or some, most of our eight or nine guys that have played over in Europe, have come because our myself, Coach Neil, Coach Heim, we all had relationships and contacts over there because we had great experiences in Europe doing those things. And and when you're getting recruited to come play at a place, you don't think about stuff like that. But the reality is, you know, when you're when you're getting finished or whatever, you those are opportunities that are going to be available. And and again, that's not some kind of recruiting pitch. It's just the reality of of we really want our guys to have that kind of opportunity to have an international experience. It's one if if someone had come to my high school and said that that would have been blown off for for several reasons, but just like the idea of going to Europe to play, and just because of that, the I don't think I quite would have understood it until I took my uh, three weeks to Barcelona, and and I think my experience I really enjoyed for one reason is like when you get to a big city, I, I had never been on an airplane before. I was on my own for one. Thankfully, I spoke most of the language when I got there, and stuff. Even though they speak Catalan as well, which they prefer. Um, it, it's just one of those opportunities where you kind of you have to start over and you're doing it yourself for the first time. And when people get back, they talk about the things they learned from their trips and the lessons they learned. And some of them are universal lessons that you can pick up from going abroad, this and that. But it's like I couldn't tell someone all that was valuable to me going on that trip and they could pick it up. Like to me, you have to go over there and not to Barcelona, not the not to Norway, Sweden, Finland or anything, but just go somewhere different. Like the, I can tell you how it benefited me, but you kind of have to go over there yourself for the first time. And I'm just, even though it was three weeks, I'll always look back and think just how special it was to be in someplace different. I wasn't coaching football. I wasn't playing football, which would have been kind of cool, but it's just, it's just different. It, I'll tell you my, my, the, I think oh, well, I brought up another uh, interesting deal. You know, I was surprised when we went to Scandinavia, you know, in, in Sweden and Finland, almost everybody speaks English. So it's easy to communicate. And so my first trip to Czech Republic was like a culture shock because I'd gone from everybody being able to speak English to now you're looking at at a population that very few people speak English. And so it's really hard to communicate. And I'm coaching a whole bunch of people that I have to have a translator tell what to do. And that was probably the most challenging thing. And what it made me reflect on is I feel like that's what made me feel like I – was I didn't do my part growing up to learn another language to where I could be fluent in another language. And, and I, I felt bad for that because, you know, like in Scandinavia, most everybody speaks at least three languages. <laughs> uh, and, and it's neat because you go into stores or whatever and they'll have a name tag and they have the flags of every language they speak. And, you know, matter of fact, one of my good friend, the friend I went over to be the best man, or not, I don't, I mean, uh, in the best man's wedding was, uh, I mean, he speaks seven languages. I mean, let's, it, I think Europe's ahead of us in that regard because they, they, they do all that. And we, we are the, you know, we're, we're Americans and we're going to speak English and that's the way it's going to be. And I feel like, you know, we need, we probably need to change that to some degree. It, and last, last, last thing on it. Like I, I had, it was funny. My, my, we, you know, I coached some kids over there, and you know, there'd be some guys like, "We hate America, but we love Texas." <laughs> and and it, it never felt like we always introduced ourselves. Like Michelle and I, we go like, "Yeah, we're from Texas." <laughs> that well, I mean, you, you don't really want to. They, it works better than saying, "I'm an American." Mm-hmm. Because uh, typically you don't get a good response when you say I'm an American, but 
when you say you're you're from Texas, then I don't know. It's just something that is different. <laughs> At least you're from a state to where you can go overseas and they'll ask, what state are you from? And they actually know what state that is. People <laughs> would ask me uh, over there. They'd be like, what, where are you from? Like, what state? I'm like, you're not going to know what it is. I guarantee you, you will not know what state I'm from. Like, those, they'll say, like is it close to Texas? I'm like, as a matter of fact, it actually borders <laughs> Texas, so, so, but you won't know what it is. Um, you should just say, I'm from the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, from- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that Texas? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Jack, I wanted to ask you, like, why did you, I never asked you, I just knew that you studied Spanish, but I never asked really why you chose to pick that up necessarily. Um, why I chose to pick up Spanish because I thought it'd be applicable to Arkansas in the Southeast to where we have a large Spanish speaking population. And I thought it'd be useful to be able to communicate with them, especially in a medical, you know, sense to where, um, I won't need a translator or I won't, um, have to rely on communication software, but I only got a minor. So I, I wouldn't say that I can speak Spanish. I could probably read it a little bit, but, uh, it goes a long way. I don't know. Can you speak any other languages besides? I cannot. I, st- I took Latin in high school, and in college, I was the last class that didn't have to take a foreign language. And I took writing as a foreign language. Uh, well, as I said, we had a that was not a foreign language. Writing for football players is not a foreign language, just for the record. Uh, but that fulfilled that requirement for us at, at Austin College. And then my class was the last that could do that. And, and my writing professor, I've said on this show before, he was Bill Moore, and I love Dr. Moore, and and he was he was a great professor. But his brother played uh, on uh, and he played football at Hendricks, uh, Ed Moore. Uh, so just you know that was that's small world. Uh, and I met Ed when I came to to interview and visit for for my interview process. So. Um, and and Dr. Moore had said good things about me from way back when. So um, that, but I was that was my. So we didn't have to have a foreign language, but I had to have a foreign language for my teacher certificate, and I took the third level Spanish class without having any Spanish prereqs. And and have I talked about this on the show before? Briefly, have I talked about this? Is that where you like walked into the lecture hall and? I don't know that wouldn't it? No, no, no. That's a whole classic. different story. But, but so, so I don't, I don't think this was beneficial for me in Spanish. But I, I took, I got talked into taking this class because I really couldn't afford to, to take three years of Spanish all in all. I mean, I'd already graduated. Um, I'm just trying to get my teacher certificate, and um, so Shane had talked me into taking the third level class. But at Grayson County College, it was going to be at it was going to be go to Mexico for three weeks and and basically get a credit. I'm like, man, that's what I got to do. I'll just tag along, Shane. I'll be fine. You know, one, two, three, team. The class didn't make. So it's like, sorry about your luck. And then I had no – that was in the second term. So I had no ability to take first-level Spanish in the first term. And anyway, so then we go to Collin County Community College, Central Park Campus at CCCC, CPC, 
Uh, that's a lot of C's and one P. Anyway, uh, so we go there. I take the third level. I, I've signed up for it. They're like, do you have your prerequisites? I gave them, like, I'm supposed to be here waiting. I'm like, they're on their way. <laughs> like, yeah, they're on their way. I got the prereqs. No problem. But, you know, back then you've signed up by phone and stuff. And so I sign up for the class. And then I get there and, like, we don't see you have your prerequisites. I said, they're on their way. I get in the class. There's no English taught. I mean, spoken. I'm, Shane and I are sharing a book. I'm like, I'm, I, I drive home the first day and I'm, I, I don't say one word because I'm like, I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm not, there's no way that I'm going to do anything in this class. And, and so the thing I value most out of that experience is the fact that as an educator and a teacher, it was the first time in my life that I'd ever gone anywhere and not known the answer and not been secure enough to stand in front of class and say, I know this. Everything in my life in class had been easy up until that point. The lesson that I got here was not whether or not I could learn Spanish or not, but it's I could relate to the person that was in class that didn't know and needed help or had a learning disability because that's how they felt. Because I was scared to death that the teacher were going to call on me at any time because I didn't know the answer. And it's the first time in my life I didn't know the answer. <laughs> so not to say that I was right all the time in those other things. I just felt like I knew the answer. And so this was the first time in my life that I understood what that what that learner didn't have. Or like the, everybody is that high achiever that's going to know that. And so how does that person feel in class? And as a teacher and an educator, how do you relate to those kids to make them comfortable enough to participate in a class structure or class in uh, you know discussion or to allow them to have opportunities to do group work or other stuff that will allow them to, uh, you know, not feel like they're, they're, they're inferior to everybody else. Uh, put this in another perspective. It's like, you know, it's like playing poker and you've got all the chips and like when you got all the chips. It's really easy to risk. I'm like, all right, I'll raise my hand. I'll, I'll throw in a couple and just give my two cents. Uh, I don't care about losing that. But if you're over there and you don't have anything, if you never had anything and you only got one or two chips, you're afraid to put those chips in. <laughs> Because I don't have anything, and I know I got this, and I know I can't get all you got. So you're afraid to put that in. That's exactly how I felt as a learner in that class. Um, and so I think that's the most I got out of that class. Now, conversely, I stumbled through that class, and I and and to to sh shorten this story, I made a I made a B in that class. <laughs> by failing the final miserably, but I did all the homework. I did everything. It also goes to show you, if you just do your work and show up every day and give great effort, sometimes, sometimes good things happen. And I guessed a lot on the vocabulary and the, and the usage and I got freaking lucky. <laughs> and so I was shooting for a C. I got like a 0.02 away from it and I got a B. <laughs> and the professor, when I turned in my, my final, cause I knew I wasn't going to do good on the final. She goes, you didn't do very good in this final set. I had a really poor teacher for my first two years. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been the best Spanish teacher I've had. That's what I said. <laughs> and you didn't lie. You did that without an online translator. I, well, okay. So let me do it. I had to do a book report in Spanish. Hardest thing I've ever done, probably. So I did get a program. I typed the book into the program to read the book. And then... And then I had to give a book report in Spanish memorized. And y'all know I don't do memorization very well because I don't even memorize my speeches here. I don't I don't do well with that. And so that's why 
you, I respect you pre-med guys because you got to memorize so much data. <laughs> but but I wasn't good with rote memorization. I'm more or less like, give me a few topics and I'm going to go with it. Um, so I taped up the report to the back and I slaughtered it. I mean, when I say I killed it, I mean, I like actually slaughtered it like because it was terrible. <laughs> but I was like, and, and, you know, I was in front of class flipping the pages. But luckily it was a children's book. So I used the book as so so I knew I couldn't memorize it. So I had it taped to the back of the book. And so like I was I was I was flipping the pages and like showing the pictures and trying to read it off the back of the book. Cause I was like, look, I'm just gonna give my best effort and whatever happens, happens. Cause if I try to memorize it, I'm failing. If she thinks if she says I read it off the back of the book, I'm failing same grade. <laughs> I think she felt sorry for me. <laughs> I feel sorry for anyone who had to do a third level Spanish class with no uh, experience for that. Yeah, I took um, four years of Spanish in high school and I came to Hendrix and took the introductory classes and the third semester, that's still really difficult no matter how much background you have. So kudos to you. That was. And they always said how Latin translates to all these other languages. I didn't feel like that worked. I'll be honest. I, I knew my Latin. I didn't. I didn't. Didn't help me. <laughs> I the more, probably the hardest class I've ever taken. That's I would maybe throw genetics in there. I don't know if Jack agrees with genetics, but uh, history of the Spanish language is one of the hardest I've ever taken because you had to learn Latin um, in the first half of the semester and. Yeah, I could just tell you if you have to learn Latin in the first half of a semester. I mean, there was priests that did that their whole lives and couldn't still do it. <laughs> that was horrible. I ended up seeing my that professor way after I'd had that class in a little library in Oxford, Mississippi. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Of all people I see here. And I made the mistake of introducing her as the person who taught the hardest class I've ever had in my life. Because she's like, oh, like she took that as a – didn't think I was being mean or anything, but like just I'm a bad teacher. I'm a hard teacher. I'm like, no, literally. But it was just a subject matter that was very hard and very difficult. But <laughs> – yeah. I, so you say Latin and my, we have a person who majors in classics here on the team and I'm like, why? It's like putting raisins in cookies. Why would you do that? <laughs> why would you put raisins in cookies? Yeah. Especially chocolate chip. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> just Latin, Latin's horrible, but I, I can read in Italian. I can read in Portuguese. I can read in different languages because I know it. So it, it does go a long way, but thankfully I don't have to read in Italian here. So valid point. Yeah. It's, but learn a language. I, I would say that to anyone out there, there are so many things it can do for you. Um, but we don't, we're not going to be offering language courses on this show. I don't think. Um, no, no. It probably scared to people off right there. So <laughs> no, but um, you know, there are sometimes you'll go into a rant or maybe you'll be um, on the field saying something and players that have played for you for three years don't know what you're saying at some time. So that's a little I, language. I would argue that three year players probably do know what I'm saying. I would say freshmen don't know what I'm saying. They might not know the exact words, but I bet you I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Transla you can, it's translatable. You don't need Google Translate for that. <laughs> there was something you used to say. Um, it was like during a stretch routine or something. It, it, but And no one knew what you said it, when we were earlier. I guess maybe the seniors knew. But you had you did it one time this year. And then you, you, you slowed it down because everyone looked at you like, what are you doing? And you slowed it down. And I'm like, so that's what he was saying. And I just went back three years to remember that. But yeah, yeah. it happens. Translator. Yep. So that's what we're good for here now, Jack. We're the translators for the young kids. Apparently. It helps to have a lot of us who played for him uh, on the staff. And that way we can translate, even for the new coaches. True, so, true. Um, always good. So I guess that'll do it.
Rusty, I think so. unless That'll, you got anything uh, else. That's it. I think we can wrap it up. Yeah, we'll see what all happens in like a week or two. And, and if anything goes crazy, we'll be here to report or something. But all good here. We're in the summer. No football right now. College mm-hmm. World Series coming up. Yeah. Hog scared me last I week. I wasn't going to bring it up, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's big for our Kansans right now, too. And I'm sure Texans as well. And yeah, it's baseball's fun. Hopefully they'll take care of business this year. I hope I hope they'll finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope well, no pop flies or cow balls. Anyway, don't I- put that evil on us. <laughs> <laughs> it's pain. It's pain.